Equality is another one of those buzzwords that is used very often today. We're all equal. We want equal rights. The Declaration of Independence, as we approach July 4th, has that classic statement, which is really the foundation of this entire country, and you can say the foundation of the modern world today, especially the Western world, all men are created equal. All people are created equal. But what does equality really mean? Is it an overused word? Is it a word that, that ends up meaning nothing because it means everything? And look around you. Are we actually equal? There's some people who are more leadership qualities and some are more followers. There's some people who are more intelligent than others and naturally have an advantage over them. Everybody has different type of qualities. So what does equality really mean? Please join me for this important conversation. Is equality a good thing? Hi, Simon Jacobson here, and welcome to another weekly, what we call masterclass. The topic is, equality, is equality a good thing? This program is dedicated by Bracha Bluma Bas Ruchel, in memory of the Rebbe Rashab, who taught us how God gives us his energy to elevate the mundane and transform our world into a dwelling place for godliness which is the very mission of what the Meaningful Life Center is all about. So, let's talk about equality. Equality is another one of those buzzwords that you hear very often, many articles, opinions, arguments. We're all equal, but we're not being treated equally. And people are demanding equal rights. Now, as we approach July 4th, we know the foundation, the cornerstone of this country. And you could say of the modern Western world, is that line that we hold these truths self-evident, all men are created equal and, have such, and as such have inalienable rights endowed upon them by the Creator. All men are created equal. I would maybe amend that so people shouldn't misunderstand. All people are created equal. But the idea is clear. But what does that really mean? What is equality? The fact is, we look around and we see people are not equal. There are people who are as a boss, an employer, an employee. The wealthy, the less wealthy. There are people in power, people with less power. There are people with leadership qualities, people who have less leadership qualities. Some people more intelligent than others. We do see the concept, I don't want to use the word superiority because I don't think it's a proper word, but we do some, see people with superior qualities. And we are not all equal, technically speaking. Our faces are not equal, the words of the Talmud. Our opinions are not equal, our way of thinking is not, our personalities are different. There's actually no two clones. There are no clones in this world. There's nothing that's exactly alike. So what we have to define what equality means. 
And by using the word, overusing the word, we could end up, it can end up losing all its meaning. So if it means everything, it means nothing. So I'm not trying to suggest that it means nothing. I'm trying to dig deeper here to figure out what exactly is equality and what defines equality. Now, it's interesting. Let's go back to that expression that the founding fathers used. All men are created equal. And it's fascinating as well and ironic that those very men that wrote that had slaves and did not consider all men equal. Well, they didn't call them men. They thought they were half humans or whatever they, however they described them. But it ended up biting them anyway. What they wrote in the, in the Declaration of Independence ended up working against their own interests because that was the basis of ab- the abolition of slavery and recognizing that despite of color or creed or culture or race or religion, all people are actually equal. That includes also women. So did they know that when they wrote it? Or was it was some type of uh, prescience that they had? Some type of prophecy? Regardless of how the answer to that question is, it remains in the document, was never changed, and it is the basis of everything that we know about today in modern society. Let me explain. Before 1776, before that line was written, and was turned into institutionalized democracy, or a country of freedom, where as a result of all people are created equal, or men are created equal, we have inalienable rights. The right to freedom of expression, freedom of religion, to pursue liberty, to pursue, free, to pursue happiness as we see fit, and no government can control that. Before that, 1776, even though some of the ideas began percolating earlier, it was never institutionalized. What controlled the world, both in the East and the West, we're, monarch, we're monarchs, we're despots, we're fascists, what we'd call today. Some of them may have been benevolent despots and some of them not so benevolent. We were at their mercy. And was, the society was not seen as equals. Someone that came from the monarchy was considered closer to God, chosen by God, and the rest were their subjects, and therefore subject to their whims and to their interests. And there was no equality at all. As again, there were leaders who were benevolent, were kind and merciful, and as such did offer their, their people some rights, but it was not a given. So it was whether the monarchs or the church leaders or other religious leaders, it was ruled in a hierarchy of absolute authority, and the idea of a government for the people, by the people, did not exist. So relatively, it's less than 250 years old which in history is quite a small amount of time. If I can quote Shao Enlai, who was the prime minister of uh, China after Mao Zedong died. So when the Western journalists first spoke to him, because when Nixon traveled to, to uh, China in the early 70s, so it was the first time they had access to uh, Chinese, the Chinese uh, culture. And they asked him, what does he think about the American Revolution? And his answer was classic. He said, it's too early to tell. Because remember, the Chinese are here for several thousand years. What's 250 years? And then it was not even 200 years. It was less than 200 years. Not to get into whether Chinese culture and Chinese government style is better, but it's an interesting response. But the fact of the matter, that became the basis of a country that did allow and welcome people of all cultures. And though there are debates that still rage about immigration and about minorities, and by majorities and different freedoms. But 
the foundation still holds. And it became a melting pot for people of all creeds and cultures. And I include also the Jewish people. I speak for myself and now my people. Though I'm really speaking in a universal manner, this became a haven, especially after the history that we've gone through. So we have to acknowledge that. And that allowed people to grow, thrive, and prosper. It doesn't say anywhere in the Declaration of Independence that we're building an institution, we're building a government in order to make a lot of money. Because they, in their wisdom, the Founding Fathers understood that if you want prosperity and success, you have to first give people freedom. You have to let them spread their wings. If you control them, you, the controller, is in control. But at the end of the day, you're not really allowing people to blossom. At the same time, you have to have checks and balances or else you'll have an anarchy if freedom is completely unbridled because what happens if my freedom conflicts with yours? So just like we need red lights and green lights, we need checks and balances to make sure that's why there is law and order. Again, the system is far from perfect, but its principle is based on a very sound principle and it goes back actually to the Bible itself that says all human beings, every human being, starting from Adam and Eve, were created in the divine image. That's another way of saying all people are created equal. Because if you're creating a divine image, there's no one that has less of a divine image than someone else. And this is a critical concept. I've thought about this many times. I even asked some legal, constitu constitu legal constitutional scholars and lawyers. If there's such a fundamental separation of church and state in this country, why did the Founding Fathers put in a word like created equal? The creator, endowed by the creator, twice or a few times that they used that word. They could have easily written, all men are born equal. All men are equal. Why the word created? Which suggests a creator, not suggests states a creator. So even though it was a given then, whether they were deists, not necessarily religious, but the idea that a creator was a given, even Thomas Paine, even the more less believers among the founding fathers also accepted the idea of a creator, but there's something more here. They could have easily written born equal or are equal. I've never found an absolute answer to this. My theory is, and whether they knew it or not, again, but it definitely works, was because it was the only way to guarantee that equality. Because if you said born equal, someone can come and say, one second, not everybody's born equal. Some are more equal than others. But if it's endowed by the Creator, and we're none of us are the Creator, it's, given, it's a power and a right from a, a birthright from a higher place. And that we're all subject to, black or white, Jew, Christian or Muslim, or Buddhist, or non-believer or an atheist, everybody. I said white, black, Hispanic, doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter what color, what creed. Creator, the creator created every human being on earth. So though our parents are the technical carriers, the seed of a father, the egg of a mother, and then the mother carries the child. But we all know that it needs the third partner, which is the creator, to, give, to make sure that life is born and is sustained. And this has nothing to do with religion. That's why they had no problem putting it in there. It wasn't saying, okay, now we have to define what kind of creator this is. Is it a Jewish God? Is it a Christian God? Is it a Muslim God? It's universal. And it guarantees that, that nobody could ever come and say, you know what, we're going to change that phrase. We're not all created equal, because only the Creator can decide that. And even the Creator hasn't decided that. He created everybody in the divine image.
But this begins to reveal to us what equality really means. Because at the same time, the way we were created, the way we exist, is that we are different. This creator could have created human beings, exactly exact replicas, clones. But we're not clones. Even children of parents who have the biological genes and DNA of their parents, and there are many similarities, have differences. There's no one that's exact equal. Even identical twins are not identical in the technical sense of the word. They may appear that way. I'm not just talking about, and I'm not just talking about the look. The look, I'm talking about personality, their chemical makeup. So there are plenty of similarities, obviously, especially within a family. But the point is, as the Talmud says, no two people, their faces are not alike, their thought process and their personalities and their ideas and opinions are not alike. So even though we may be 99% have something in common, but we have enough to differentiate between us. Or else we would all be clones and we would not have any arguments. And this is part of the beauty. Because equality, equality is not the absence of diversity. And diversity is not the absence of equality. Divisiveness. Duplicity. But especially divisiveness. That is the opposite of, of, uh, of equality, as we'll talk about in a moment. So look at existence. We have a fundamental paradox that we don't even pay attention to because it's so, such a given. On one hand, look at nature. Let's start with nature. Nature. Fascinating. How many different species are in there in this world? Billions, billions of species. And within each species, billions of creatures. And I'm talking about in the mineral world, in the vegetable world, the vegeta- world of vegetation, in the world of animal world, and the human kingdom, the human world. And I'm not just talking about on Earth. I'm talking about on all planets, all universes, all solar systems, and beyond. And yet, they all work together in this miraculous, I will say, synchronicity. Are there collisions? Yes, there are collisions. But overall, just look at our our lives, our seasons. Summer, spring, autumn, uh, summer rather, autumn, winter, spring. It's like a clockwork. How creatures have that symbiotic relationship. Whether it's a bee cross-pollinating, give and take, and this is also true for the human body. We have close to between 35 and 75 trillion cells within us. Thousands, tens of thousands of components, limbs, organs. A healthy human being is born, it all works together. Arm and eye, hand and eye coordination. When you walk, even simple things like breathing, digesting. How many factors have to work perfectly? All you need is one malfunction, God forbid, and it can create chaos or death. So you have here, is this called equality or not equality? Is the brain equal to the heart? Are the lungs equal to the liver? The answer is each one has to do its job, and when it does its job, it's equally important as the other. So equality does not mean sameness. Equality means that each one is equally valuable. When you say every human being was created in the divine image, 
or all men are created equal, I'm not saying they're all equal as they all look alike, they all act alike, and they all think alike. It means they're equal in their unique role. And they're not only equal, they're indispensable. And it goes further. They each need each other equally. So even if you have a person who's the head of a corporation and another person is working for him, of course, technically, he can abuse him. And we'll talk about free will shortly. But their roles are equal. They're both necessary. And if they both appreciate that their equality, their uniqueness, I should say, comes from a higher place, created, all men are created equal, all people are created equal, then they will have the humility and the bittle, the word I use often, which means suspending of your own ego and self in the presence of something greater, and they will work together. Look at the human body again. If every organ, every limb felt it's just me and no one else, you would not have that cooperation and that coordination. You take a piece of food, you put it into your mouth. So at that point, you need the mouth to chew it. The teeth come into play, the tongue, the gullet, as it works its way down, and the teeth have now grinded the food and it's become something that can go down into your systems. Start the digestive process begins. Each part of the body will do its part, eliminating the waste, feeding, taking, extracting the nutrients, turning them into blood. The breathing process will eliminate, will bring in fresh air, the oxygen, eliminate the carbon dioxide as we exhale. Everything is doing its job. An unbelievable machine here. As the food goes down the gullet, I should have mentioned, the windpipe has to not allow itself to be functioning, meaning it has to close up, or the food goes down into the food pipe, not the other way around. Everything is coordinated. If it's not, that we call illness, disease, infection, problem, an aberration. So they're all equal, and they're all equally harmonious. Think of an orchestra. You could have an orchestra of a hundred-piece orchestra. Different instruments, different musicians, each plays their part, but together they create this beautiful symphony. It's beautiful music. Music itself, musical notes. All kinds of diverse notes. Each one necessary. In the classic words of Mozart when he told the Archduke of Austria, who thought he was a music connoisseur, he said Mozart, when he heard his first, uh, his first um, opera or symphony, Mozart, beautiful music, but far too many notes. And Mozart purportedly responded, yes, your majesty, but not one more than necessary. That's the world in which we live. And we start seeing it that way. It's unbelievable. Remember growing up, we were told in school, in science classes, every part of the body, the millions and billions of parts and all the thousands of different components, is necessary. The only thing we haven't figured out yet was the purpose of the wisdom teeth and of the appendix. And at the time, I think tonsils as well. So meanwhile, when you think about it, and I remember I, I raised my hand and someone said the question, so what does that mean? That that's a, which is the anomaly here? So obviously the answer is simple. If you see billions of parts all working perfectly and three, we don't yet, we don't know what the reason, what their function is, most likely it's the other way around that they also have a function, we don't yet know what it is. If it was billions that we have no idea what their function is, and there are three that we do know, it's a different story. And then that's what happened, it was discovered, the tonsils, my tonsils were removed, as many of us, maybe baby boomers, 
from the late 50s and early 60s, until they realized that tonsils do have a function. I think the appendix was also discovered what it is. The wisdom teeth, not sure. There are probably theories about it. But the point I want to make is that it's, multi- it's a multitude of diversity while it's all working together. So equality is a far deeper and more profound and complex word than it sounds. It's not everything is equal. Think everything is different, but they're all equal in value. And that's a key thing to remember, because psychologically now, and here's where we'll address the question, is equality a good thing? Psychologically, the problem is, is this isn't just academics and semantics. Psychologically, if I think that you, that I don't have that uniqueness within me, and you have that uniqueness, what do you think is going to happen? I'll be jealous of you. I'll try to take what you have. I'll, I may determine that what you have belongs to me. So the understanding that equality doesn't mean I need to be you. Equality means you. I need to be me, and you need to be you. That's equality. And the more you value yourself in that way, and recognize God created you differently than someone else, that difference doesn't make you less equal. But superficially, that's what happens. You see someone has more money than me. Oh, that means that person is more valuable than I am. That may be the perception in the, in the superficial world in which we live, in the false world in which we live. Or someone is more intelligent than you. That means that person is more equal than No. You have other qualities. You may have a quality, you will do have a quality that the other person doesn't have. So it really has tremendous implications, this concept, when you define what equality really is. So is equality a good thing? It depends how you define it. If it's defined in a superficial, commercial, and subsurface level way, then it's meaningless. And it could even be destructive because you're trying to be someone that you're not supposed to be. Today we talk a lot about identity crisis. Who are we? And that's both in the sexual identity or other forms of identity. It all comes down to do you know in your heart of hearts and soul of souls that you were created in the divine image. And that's all that is is necessary. Now discover what that image looks like, what shape and form it's taken, what uniqueness it's formed and taken. And the people who are confident and secure and comfortable in their own skin are the ones that are the easiest to coexist and cooperate with others. Because if I know what I am, it'll be easier for me to work with you. If I don't know who I am, and I think that you may be me, or you may be taking something from me, or someone else, what do you think is going to happen? If the heart and the mind, or the liver or the lungs, or in the old examples I gave earlier, each one decided, one second, you're, 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 you shouldn't be doing what you're doing because you're taking away my spotlight, what do you think will happen? Destruction, chaos, death. God forbid. So it's critical to understand that equality and diversity go hand in hand. That true equality is discovering who you are. And, this, and you have that total direct connection without any intermediaries to the divine itself, to eternity and infinity itself, has manifest in the diversity of existence, including your unique personality and identity. And that's the most fascinating part of it all when you think about it. So the mystics, especially in the Hasidic texts, talk about this at length. How does a seamless, shapeless, omnipresent unity, singularity, manifest in such infinite different multitude diversity?
And the answer is because the unity is not one versus. It's not a unity that the absence of which, or rather to say it's a unity that contradicts the concept of diversity. That's when you say one is not two, two is not three, three is not four. But if it's a fundamental cosmic unity, a unity in quality that's not defined by one or two, it's a unity that transcends singularity and transcends diversity, so then it can, it can translate, that oneness can translate into so many different ways, can channel into so many different ways, and they're all part of oneness. When we say, I am I, we're basically saying, it's not I'm a composite of some of the parts of my body parts, my organs, my limbs, my cells, my DNA, my genes, and so on. You're one unit. One unit that expresses itself. You have your arms, you have your legs, you have your brain, your mind, your heart, and so on. And the same is true on a cosmic level, on a spiritual level. That the diversity is not a contradiction to unity. That would be if you have one and not many. But we're talking about something else. Harmony within diversity coming from a place that's beyond the single and beyond the multiple. And as such, it joins them together. That is true equality. And that sense of equality is not just a good thing. It's a necessary thing. So actually, equality means diversity. But a diversity that each piece is equally valuable and equally necessary and equally indispensable. Imagine each of us having that attitude. And I'll conclude with the words of the Kotzke Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman Lov Kotzk, which so aptly captures this idea. He says, if I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, I am not and you are not. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, I am and you are. In simple pedestrian language it means that if my identity is defined in proximity to yours, which means I need to know where you are to know where I am, I will not really be me. I'll just be an extension of you. I may even say you're my enemy and I'm your enemy. That defines me. That's also not a definition coming from within and generated from within. It's coming from without. And if you do the same, then you also are not. But if I am I because I am I, because I know I have a unique personality, though it has many things in common with others, but I know that, and I know it in the, depth, in the depths of my, my spirit and my consciousness, my psyche, then I am I. And if you do the same, then you are you. And then we can come together in a complete way, which love is exactly that. If love means that one person needs to repress their identity or needs to be dominated or silenced, there's something wrong with that. Love is one identity. I am I. You are you. And then, because we're both complete circles, we can come together and have a complete symbiotic union, a seamless union, one flesh, one body, one soul. That is true intimacy and true connection. I know it sounds beautiful, poetic, eloquent, but the challenge is to bring it into reality, and that's where our free will comes into play. See, when it comes to musical notes, musical notes don't have free will. The composer composes them, and if the, 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 the musician plays them correctly, you have beautiful music. But imagine the musical notes. He said, you know what? I can't, I can't join this party right now. I have to go out to dinner. 
I have another agenda, and every musical note goes off on its own, what are you going to have? You're not going to have this harmony. Human beings are indispensable, unique musical notes with that diversity and equality I'm describing. However, with one caveat, we have choice. Are we going to join? Well, firstly, are we going to identify and recognize that equal, that, that equal value and uniqueness that we have and not try to take from another or understand and, or, or, not on, or out of ignorance or lack of validation and love and nurturing? We never develop that sense of self. Of course, you'll have problems. But if we are able to discover that inner self, the soul that defines you, and recognize that another person has a soul that's equally divine, maybe very different than yours, and then recognize how we all need each other. And just as I'm needed, absolutely needed, so too is another person needed, that changes the entire dynamic. What the good news is, is just as this country became a nation 246 years ago, in 1776. So we do see progress. We do see that the world has been moving toward unity, not just politically and governmentally, but also scientifically, technologically, is the search for unity. That's what science essentially is, looking for the unified field theory that connects it all. Because we gravitate to unity. Even little children, look, give them pieces, different objects, different sizes, they'll look to fit them into the, the holes that, fit, that match that side, that match that object. Because we naturally gravitate to unity. We actually are, are um, disturbed when we see disunity. You see something disorganized. We all look for unity, structure. But unity does not mean sameness. Unity means diversity, harmony within diversity. So in that sense, equality takes on a whole different dimension and also creates a whole different way of looking at our own value. And this indeed, my friends, is the purpose and mission of the Meaningful Life Center. So this has been Simon Jacobson from the Meaningful Life Center. And our driving ethos, our driving mission is exactly that. Meaningful life, that you are indispensable. Our mission is to help you discover your indispensable mission. And as such, every one of us, as we discover that, become more harmonious, not less much more, at one symbiotic whole, a harmony within diversity. So please join me and partner with me in this effort. Love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your comments, your suggestions. And of course, please share with others, paying it forward. Thank you so much. Go to MeaningfulLife.com where you can find many different programs covering different topics, the whole spectrum for different audiences, different interests. And again, please share your thoughts. Thank you so much. Have a meaningful week, a unique week, an equal week, and let us embrace each other exactly in this fashion. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.